Okay, if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation, picking it back up. We took one week break, but we're back in Revelation looking to finish in the will of the Lord, the chapter 1, and with God's help, we'll look into it. So let's just open in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just ask you to please open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. In the Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Uh, so we're here now in uh, Revelation 1. Uh, we went through an overview, and we are now in the, uh, the first chapter. There's a lot of introduction. There's a lot of, um, we learn who the writer is. And when you think of Revelation, um, <clears throat> the book of Revelation, you think of, um, I think at least for myself, you can, you can answer for yourself, uh, what you do, what you think is, is prophecy. You know, when you go through it and you think of Revelation, yes, there's a lot of animals and, and, and things flying around and it's, and, and the way John describes it and imagery. But, uh, the book of Revelation is a letter, really. And it's, um, the first couple of chapters is, um, a book or, excuse me, a letter written to actual churches that existed at that time. And so while there is, um, there is prophecy, and there's and the and John was instructed to John is the apostle is the writer of, of of Revelation. He was instructed to write these things down, but it's actually the, the beginning. It's a letter written to churches for their admonition to their uh, to commend them on certain things, to correct them, to to get them to wake up. And um, so, the first couple chapters, at least, that um, we will definitely um, be going through that in the will of the Lord. And at least up until chapter four um, of this letter is uh, it will be regarding the churches that John was instructed to write to. Um, also, we'll make a, uh, an advertisement for Sunday night, which is our small groups. Um, if you don't know, if you are participating, that's great. Um, it's a nice time uh, because this is only a few minutes, right? Um, 45, an hour maybe that we have to talk and you only get to hear uh, my boring voice. But to gather in, in, in a group, right, and hear everybody's collective of what the Spirit has laid on their hearts and we can talk about these things and hash them out and correct and even more take this study further because there is a lot here. There's a lot in the Word of God anytime you open it up, right? But especially when it comes to Revelation, and sometimes it's a little spooky to people because they see these things and they say, I don't understand it, I just don't want to even, you know, I'll just read it and then I put it down. But there is a lot of uh, that we can glean from this, that we can a lot of learn. And really, um, uh, when we get to it, especially in this part, is we get a clear picture of the God that we serve, right? The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we said, we... As we look into this, let's just go through it. Um, let's go through it and read it. Um, for uh, for context sake, it's always good to read aloud. Blessed is those who um, who read the word of God. And so uh, let's go through, and we're actually going to just pick up in verse 9. Uh, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation in the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the aisle island of uh, called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, uh, what, write what you see in uh, the book, in a, in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, Smyrna to Pergamum, to Thyatira, um, and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. His hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. <clears throat> and in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came, the sharp, came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in his full strength. And when I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as though I was dead, as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, uh, those that are and those that are to take place and after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So a little bit, we're just going to go back over for, because it's part of our text, a little bit about what Jamel touched on. And the writer, as we are, 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 are we see here, is actually, this is not the first time that he's identified himself, because he did it in verse 4, uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. But again, he says this, John, uh, I, John, he's writing, your brother and partner in tribulation. Look what he says here, in tribulation and the kingdom, and patient endurance, which is in Jesus. And then that's a, a peculiar uh, mix when you think about the Christian life. Really, um, depending on who you ask, you know, what, what Christianity is, and whether they're true believers, biblical Christians or not, you know, they might tell you, well, Christianity is wealth. It's health, or it's it's an easy life, right? you got to be on God's side. It's God's side, and, it, and it's... It's clear sailing from here on up. Now, part of that is true, right? But um, the Bible always talks about, especially most of the promises that are given to uh, the, a Christian, right, are deferred, right? Right now, there's something, it's something that's different in the sense of what we're going through. And so look at what John says, partner in tribulation, and he's looking forward to the kingdom. And he, is, he has a registration to a kingdom that's not here. But while he was here, there's tribulation, And that's the Christianity that John signed up for. Tribulation, but he looked ahead and he was able to persevere. Look at this. The patient endurance that are in Jesus. Now you might think as, as, as if you ask somebody, um, if you would ask somebody like just as, uh, would remove themselves from the picture and say, listen, they look at a Christian's life or you just take, for instance, any, any martyr that you would think of. You know, maybe the, the, the men that were killed in the jungle as they were going to, I think it was Ecuador, right? As they were stabbed in, in the 40s, um, about 50, 70 years ago, right? And there they are like, you, you know, you would look at the young men or younger men and, and, and the world would look at it and say, what a waste! What did they do with their life? They were talking to a bunch of savages and they got killed for it. And, and look, you see, it wasn't in them that they can go through and, and live this Christian life. And John recognized that. It says, the patient endurance, which is in Jesus. It was Jesus that was empowering his life to get through this Christian life. Right now, there's tribulation, right? And, and, and Christian, if you do know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I speak to myself first, listen, if you're not suffering some kind of tribulation, or persecution in this life, you're not standing up for the Lord. Because you know what? This world is against the Lord. And the minute you want to take a stand, or the minute you want to witness to somebody, or, 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 or speak for the truth, whatever the case is, look at the way they treated the Lord Jesus. All you have to do is look what they did to him at the end of his life. They wrongly accused him, and they put him on a cross and killed him. Now, it doesn't, I mean... You, you can, I'll speak for myself again, but you know for yourself, you know when, you, when you're accused of something and you didn't do it? <clears throat> no, that, I didn't do it. I got to put up my own defenses and I, I got to hire a lawyer, whatever it is, and I got to plead my own case. There was nobody to plead the, uh, the case for the Lord Jesus. He went willing because it was the Father's plan. But patience, I mean, there was tribulation. John looked ahead and says, listen, that's okay. My name is registered in heaven. I'm looking for a king. I'm looking for a place in my, uh, uh, an abode that's not here on earth because God has promised something greater that's going to come later. And how can I get through us? The patient endurance which are in Jesus. And so it's Jesus that was carrying him through this Christian life. Now, uh, Jamel touched a little bit on this history tells us that John was exiled there because of his testimony for Jesus and pulling up uh, a little too fast. Um, this little map, uh, when we look at this, uh, where he is, this is where, at least, uh, this is a map of present day, um, Turkey, 
what we know what we know now know as Turkey, but at the time it was called you know Asia. But here's this little island where he was at, and he must have had some contacts at some point. It doesn't say much uh, as far as I know uh, previously, but there were actual churches there, and so he's told to write to these churches, and you could see them. They're all right here on this line. Here's John. He was exiled here. And even think about this. Now, this is going a little bit outside. Now, I think the Lord obviously knew what he was doing by exiling John there because he gave him this revelation, right, that he was going to then deliver this to, look, they're not that far away. Now, I don't know how he was able to get a letter over there, right? He was in some kind of forced concentration camp. But the close proximity of it and the fact that maybe he had, he was an older man and they didn't, you know, the guards didn't have trouble with him. You know, he was on their... Uh, on their good side, there was favor that was granted by the Lord, but he was able to get this letter out somehow, maybe after his death, I'm not sure, but he got it out to these nearby churches and it was read there what the Lord said to him and what they were, uh, what the Lord wanted to tell them and what, uh, he saw in them. And, and God had special interest in these churches. He has special interest in the church as we're about to see when we look into the picture of Jesus. Okay, so next thing, um, on account, mentioned he was there exiled to Patmos because of the account. He says it, um, he said, he gives us a clue that he was there because of the, on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So it seems that because he, um, because of the way he was living his Christian life, right, fully faithful to the Lord, he was exiled there. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, um, You'll hear, you'll see this especially in the Old Testament, but, and, and it's mentioned as, as well in the New Testament, the day of the Lord, the Lord's day. So, I, I would just say this a blanket statement when it comes to this is, it seems that this is an actual day of the week, not actually the day of the Lord, which can span many years, and when it talks about the end of judgment, because sometimes this can get, I mean, if you input this at this point, it seems a little bit confusing. Um, because what John's talking about hasn't transpired, and that definitely would encompass the day of the Lord. But it says the Lord's day, whether we believe that to be Sunday, but he was on a, an actual day of the week, and he was in the Spirit, it says. He was literally controlled by the Spirit, right? Even in the midst, uh, what, what a great testimony that is for us, right? Even in the midst of some kind of concentration, what we would know as a concentration or labor camp, being at an old age, right, cracking rocks, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, right? Even in the midst of that, remember, that great patient endurance which are in Jesus. He was able to endure such a uh, situation as that, even as, as, as down as it can be. I mean, I can't even imagine that, right? Sometimes things don't go well at my job or whatever, and I get all bent out of shape, and I think I'm in some kind of concentration camp, but not literally, right? I mean, we can, we can form these things in our own mind, and John was able to endure, right, the patient endurance which are in Jesus. He tapped into that internal strength that was able to empower him in the midst of that. So he was there, and he was able to send out the uh, letter. He was, uh, the Lord spoke to him, and I heard, this is, his in, this is the introduction, right? Here's where it starts. He's there, whatever he was doing, praying, cracking rocks, but he was in the spirit of the Lord's day. And what he says is that he heard the loud voice like a trumpet. Now, I don't know. I've never heard a trumpet that close. I remember actually, actually, I never really heard a trumpet as as live as sometimes at Hollywood. I remember Buddy uh, Didhart used to play his trumpet, but I can't even imagine. It must have been some kind of uh, description of it. Seems like a battle trumpet or something. I mean, we, obviously, that's a from uh, battles from days gone by, blowing trumpets and to rally the troops, but. I mean, can you imagine whatever he was doing and just this loud voice? I mean, I would have fell down on my face right there, but he eventually does fall down. But what he says, he felt, he hears this loud voice like a trumpet and what it says to him, write what you see in a book to these seven churches, right? We mentioned them already. And so here he is on this aisle, exiled, and he knows he's not forgotten. The Lord is still with him. He's enjoying the Lord's presence in the midst of this, uh, 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 adverse uh, situation he was in, right? He wasn't in a comfy church, sitting in a pew, surrounded by Christians, right? He was, uh, uh, the fellowship that we have here, great. 
He was out there in exile on a, a lonely island. Look at that. Far, and, and on top of it, as far as we know, you know, we, at least according to the Bible, maybe history says different. He wasn't a Paul traveling all around here. He was stationed mostly down here in Jerusalem, right? And that's where he stayed. But he was exiled all the way up here. But he was in patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. And he was enjoying the Lord's presence. And here comes the Lord. He says, listen, John, I have one more thing left for you. I need you to write this book. I'm going to show you a bunch of great things. And I want you to send it to these churches, Ephesus and so on. All these around here, which is Asia, which now is present-day Turkey. And so John, as he hears this loud trumpet, man, what is going on here? He turns around to see a voice, to see the voice that's speaking to him. Now, I search far and wide now. Artist renditions of things um, sometimes can get us in the wrong direction, especially even sometimes watching a movie because, you know, there's artists, um, you know, the discretion that they use, it's, it just comes from their own mind. Now, I thought about maybe drawing a stick figure and then, you know, drawing things like, well, I was like, man, that would be even more distraction because of my drawing skills, especially on, on paint or something, are terrible. I'm not an artist. But I found one that I think would um, not too terrible because sometimes you look at them and the artist rendition, they make them like a Western European look, you know, pale skin and stuff. Like he looks like, like he just came out of Spain or France. And I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really say anything about what his skin color, except that his radiance was like, was like uh, the sun lightning. So... I think this is the best one. Again, don't, I'm, I'm just using this as a guide, right? To show us what things that w- when John turned around to see, I'm not saying this is actually it, obviously, but um, when he turned around, and we're just going to go through this, and we're just going to make a couple comments, because this is, this is tremendous, because think about this. Up until this point, we will talk about this, there were men that were privy to seeing, getting a heavenly vision and God must have just shown them enough, right, that they wouldn't be just blown away by his presence, but just enough that they were just in awe. And up until this point, right, the Lord Jesus walked among. John knew the Lord Jesus when he was on earth. He was able to put his head down, right, on top of him. But he was in a in a form, right, that wasn't just would have blown them away. And, and But now he's seeing him in a different way. Now, again, you know, this is even different than what Thomas saw. Remember Thomas, when he, when the Lord Jesus came back from the dead, um, Thomas was able to approach him. He said, hey, look, you know, look at the, because Thomas was uh, doubting. That's where he gets the name. But unless he did certain things, he said, I wouldn't believe that Jesus was rose from the dead. And Jesus came back, appeared right there. He said, here, Thomas, put your hands here. There's a, here's the prints of the nails right here in my hands and, and, the, and the, the, the wound here on the side. But here, this vision, not, that's not mentioned. Now, there, there must have been a difference between the resurrected body now and the glorified body. And even when Paul was, when the Lord Jesus Christ intervened in his life, it doesn't say anything about what he looked. But here, there's three descriptions that I can find in the New Testament of the Lord Jesus. They're all very significant. Here's one. There's also one in Revelation chapter 5 of the Lamb. And, and just the significance, I won't say too much except for that when John looks to see Who's worthy, right? The God the Father is looking out on the entire, uh, uh, the entire universe. Who's worthy to unleash the, the righteous judgment on earth? Nobody's worthy except for the Lamb. And John looks to go turn and sees a Lamb and standing there as though he's freshly slain. There's also a description of the Lord Jesus in Revelation 20 or 19 when he comes back, right? He comes back to make war. And it says, all it says, it gives him various names, faithful and true, king of kings and lord of lords, a, a vesture, a long white robe dipped in blood. And, and some will say, well, that, maybe that's his blood. That's not his blood. That's actually the blood of his enemies, right? He's coming. So all these different visions and these descriptions of the Lord Jesus, right, mean something. He just didn't put it haphazardly. And the way John describes it, it's something for us to learn from, right? It's not just like haphazardly. He's just wearing a golden sash across his his chest. It doesn't mean anything. Well, it does, right? The Lord knows exactly how uh, what we need to hear, and He's describing Himself, right? He's able. He's showing John what something that John can learn from about Him, and this is very important. If anything, this is really. I think there's a lot of great things in this little section that we have, but if we can get a clear picture a snapshot, as it were, of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that would just change our lives. 
There's a service called, um, in Microsoft, they, um, this is your tech class 101 for you. Actually, this is a little more advanced. But it's called um, Volume Shadow Copy Service, or VSS. And what it does is there's various um, uh, third-party applications that take um, advantage of it. It's a great service. And one of the things that, it, in, in especially in the storage area, excuse me, the storage world, is what it'll take is, you, you know, you've got your files here, and especially in a big company that that I work in, you know, just people do silly things. Um, I don't know if anybody's been hit with the ransomware or even know what that is, but basically somebody, um, I think it's still out there, but, you know, they would send you, somehow you're, 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 you would get infected. And what it would do is encrypt your entire files, and it would target, you know, JPEGs, pictures, documents, and it's very malicious. And it would encrypt it, basically lock it, and they would hold the key unless you paid them some money. Now, this happened to some big um, companies. I mean, I think even down here, I think uh, Coral Springs Police got hit by it. They had no copy. They had no snapshot of their stuff, so they couldn't go back. We even got hit with it. Uh, one of It's quite interesting. The, the compliance officer, who's supposed to be the most vigilant person here, he was the CEO of the compliance division, but he got hit with it. And the way we were able to, to fix it, right, the, the image of, of his files and everything that he owned was corrupted. The way we had to go back, we had to go back to the snapshot of the perfect picture of it, and we were able to fix it, right? We just re restored his file. And, you know, sometimes we get an image of what the Lord Jesus is or what God is. And, you know, sometimes it's just all this garbage that we would pile in our own head, and we think, well, God works like this, and, 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 and God does this in this situation, and, and, you know, God wouldn't do that. You know, here, here's a perfect snapshot of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he's doing. What is he doing in heaven? We can picture him right here. And then we can call, pull that and say, listen, anytime I, I start thinking of what God is and, and I get uh, distracted or, or I get off course, I can go back to the snapshot right here and see who God is. You know, you know who needed this? Here's a real-life example, too, in the Bible. The story of the, the children of Israel, I always go back to this because, um, you know, this, this is so true sometimes of ourselves. Like, you know, the situations that, we in, uh, that we're in, we can, you know, our, our thoughts and our, our, our own intellect, you know, we start formulating these things and we start thinking, well, this is the way God should act. And, you know, maybe his, his character and the way Israel was was rescued from slavery, right, in, in, in Exodus. They were in slavery in bondage for 400 years. I can't even imagine what that was like. But for 400 years, that's all they knew, right? Even their children, right, they didn't know what it was like to be free. Finally, God saves them. So he pulls them out of slavery. That same people that knew both sides now are free. And it wasn't long before that they started going through these hardships, right? God brought them through the wilderness for a reason, to teach them more, to not bring them directly to the promised land. He knew exactly our hearts, right? He knew exactly if we just gave them that wealth and, and prosperity, they would forget about them. So he had to teach them something. But along the way, it was hard. It was hard life walking through the desert. And eventually through all these hardships, they, their picture got corrupted of who God was. They got to the point where they said, God brought us out here to die. You know, as, that's, as if he set a bear trap in a cartoon and he wanted me to walk on it and then get stuck and get hurt. Is that the God that I'm seeing right here that John's seeing? Of course not. But their, their, their ideas and the, and the way that they saw God, it got so corrupted and it got, and it, it was uh, blaspheming him. And, and even the, um, they, you know, they, they, they talked about, oh, God brought us out of here to this evil place. He brought us out of here to die, to watch our children die. They got so off course. Now, I'm just using it as an example and not to, to judge them because I think sometimes we can be susceptible, maybe not to that degree. Maybe some do, right? But we can be susceptible to think, you know, we, we kind of, in a sense that we don't turn over something to God. God is faithful, right? Why not just turn our entire life, right? That's, I think, one of the biggest struggles, right? Especially here in the Western society is turning ourselves fully over to God now that we've become a Christian. There's parts of our life that we want to hold back because we lack faith, right? Then turn those things over to God. And where I can then realign myself is just get a clear picture, the snapshot of who God is, and here's one right here. John's given to him. What is God doing now? What does Jesus Christ look in glory? He gives it to us. And so as he turns to see this voice that was speaking to him, and what is the first thing he notices? 
one back. He notices the golden lampstands. Now, there's no mystery of what this is because it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ's mouth. He says the golden lampstands are the seven churches. Now, um, I'm looking forward to in the world of the Lord where Brother Larry will come down. And a lot of the imagery that we see here is going to be mentioned in the tabernacle. And what the lampstand was, um, there were two compartments in this tent that God created in the tabernacle. But the lampstand was a light inside of a separate compartment where God's presence is, right? The, uh, where the, uh, the thing that they get carried with the cherubim, you know, the, the ark, that was God's, the mercy seat, that's where God's presence is. On the other side, there was a veil, right, that they couldn't go through. But there was a lampstand that was supposed to be the light. What's the imagery? Where God's not, where God's everywhere, of course, but He's in heaven. But here in another place, there's somebody else that's going to be His light, that's going to be reflecting it, that the Holy Spirit's going to be empowering there. And that lampstand was, is going to be the church, right? The church is a lampstand right here now on earth. So these seven golden lampstands, right? Definitely imagery from the tabern, uh, from the, from the tabernacle. John would recognize this, but there's seven. They're the seven churches right here that he wants to talk to. They're lampstands here on earth. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And so he sees somebody. It's literally the form of a man that's coming to him. Now, I don't know how he was able to see all this, especially given the, the, what he saw later, but he was able to capture these things. It must have been enough for him to capture exactly what was going on because if I would have saw it, I would have just fell flat and I, you know, maybe he was able to, to stand back up, but it says he was able to capture these things. And as he's, as the son of man's walking, he sees them in the midst of the, the lampstands, one like the son of man. I want to make mention, uh, briefly about this. Lampstands being the church. Where's Jesus right now? Of course, he's in heaven, but where's his interest? In the midst of the church. He's walking. Now, this is interesting because, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of crazy theories, especially um, in, in, in just thought processes out there, and especially when people try to, to meld these uh, re- um, evolution and creation together, and, and God, you know, he spun things uh, to get evolution started, and then he took a step back, and he just kind of sat back and watched. Man, that's not the God I read in the Bible. He's very interested in what's going on here. His hands are always involved in creation, and he's always guiding it. What difference, you know, why would it be any different when he started this new thing called the church? Would he take a step back and not be interested in it? Of course he is. Now, that's also a warning to me, right? The way I conduct myself in the church, if God's there, if the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved me, is there walking around seeing what's going on and taking special interest in the, in the, in the church, right? This is, these are individual churches, right? Is he, in, is he interested in individual churches? Of course he is. Is he interested in individuals in the churches? It would be, of course. So that would be one, right? I got to take special interest in myself, right? God is interested in me and the way I'm conducting myself and seeing how I'm conducting my life, but also the way I'm interacting with other people in the church. Most of the New Testament's written about that, right? Where there's people, there's going to be problems. But God has special interest in the church. What's going on? You know, are they reflecting my light? You know, are they carrying out the design that I had these, that I had for them? That's where the Son of Man is. There's a lot of things that God is interested in He's doing, but one of His interests, great interest is in the church. He's there walking amongst them. He hasn't stepped back and says, listen, I'm just going to get this thing started. Yes, I came down. I healed a bunch of people. They put me to death. And now I provided a way for salvation and I'm going back up to heaven and let them fend for themselves. Absolutely not. He's doing a lot. And actually, we're going to look more. But there he is walking amongst them, right? What is he wearing? Clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around the chest. A long robe golden sash now whether it's you know a a sash across like this or like that i'm not you know i'm not too uh dogmatic on what it is this guy uh or this woman whoever drew the picture said it's like this some you might see it's like that anyways there's a golden sash across and what this actually when i when i started looking into it you know it reminds me of a of another garment that was described the priestly garments 
back in the Old Testament. Well, actually, it's actually interesting that we're going to be looking at this with Brother Larry in the world of the Lord. But, you know, there were people that were uh, designated for service in the temple, right? They were going to be serving God. They were going to be mediators between the people and God. And these people were, 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 were not just to approach God and, and to do their work, you know, just wearing a tie and a long sleeve shirt. They were given special clothing to do service. And this service reminds me, and I can't wait to see what the other brothers and, and sisters have to say in the small groups, but it reminds me of the priestly garments. And, you know, Jesus describes himself, right? The Bible describes Jesus as our great high priest. He's there interceding, working on our behalf nonstop. You know, one of the qualifications of the Lord Jesus is that his life because he's after, he's not after the order of, of Aaron and, and that Levitical priest, right? And, and uh, God designated them to work in that tabernacle, right? They had a, they had a deficiency. Their lifespan was not long, and they died. And there needed to be a son and then another son, somebody to take over. But the Lord Jesus Christ is priest, so it's after another order. And the qualifications, the way you get into that order is you've got to have an indestructible life. Your life doesn't end. And because his life doesn't end, he could continually do the work forever and perfectly. And so Lord Jesus Christ there is working on our behalf, doing the priestly duties, interceding of us, taking our prayers, working in our weaknesses, right? Giving us that strength, the patient endurance to get through this Christian life. It's hard. There he is working, walking amongst the candlesticks, walking amongst the churches, special interest in our lives, wearing that priestly garments, Golden sash, not just a priest, but a king, right? Maybe that's what it says about golden, the golden, uh, why it's gold. What else does he notice? His hair is white. Now, this is where we kick in. Uh, we mentioned that there was other um, imagery. Uh, it's not imagery, but visions that people were privy to have about the Lord Jesus. Ezekiel had them, Isaiah, Daniel. A lot of this, um, when we look at this imagery, uh, when we look at the image that, Je- that um, the picture that John was given, it, it, it harkens back to Daniel because a lot of it is the same as Daniel. If you want it for your own reference, we will mention a couple times, but it's in Daniel 7 and also Daniel 10. But Daniel 7, as he's looking at the Ancient of Days, as he's called here, the Ancient of Days... Um, Daniel 7, 9, as I looked, the thrones, um, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seats. His clothing was white as snow. Now, this is, didn't mention this, but the robe is not given a color. Uh, this artist makes it white, but he probably um, harkens back to this um, picture. But his, his clothing is white, and his hair was like wool, and his throne was a flaming fire, fiery flame. So that's... Um, Daniel 7 and also Daniel 9, uh, Daniel 10 has some more, which we can mention later. But his hair was like wool. You can also look at, um, it could speak of his pureness, right? No sin. could also speak of, uh, Proverbs talk about those who have gray head, right? Have uh, wisdom and knowledge. All those things could be true, right? Eternally knowledgeable, uh, knowing all things, holy, no sin. His head was as white, like wool, like snow. His eyes. Next. His eyes were a flame of. Uh, his eyes were a flame of fire. Flame of fire for his eyes. Um, I didn't find anything necessarily for this, except for this, is that when we look at the. Um, what we know about God in the way he's described is that everything is naked and open in his eyes. And uh, it, it, even in the Old Testament, Daniel, Ezekiel, they, a lot of times when they describe the Lord in the ancient of days, his eyes are flame of fire. In Revelation, right, he comes back, his eyes are a flame of fire. It could mean that he's coming to for judgment. Um, it could mean that he's able to, nothing is, is hidden from his sight. All those things I think would be true. Um, I'm not exactly dogmatic on what it is, but the way he's described is his eyes were a flame of fire. Again, guys, this isn't just written here haphazardly, right? This is put together for a reason. 
the, what we see about him. So we can, this is for our benefit right, to glean into this and get a clear picture of who the Lord Jesus Christ is in his glorified state. So his eyes are flame of fire, his head white as snow. His feet were like burnished bronze. And this is interesting. Um, this is actually not the first time this is mentioned, um, at least uh, in this way it is. But um, back in Daniel 2, um, I believe it's Daniel. Um, one of the, yes, Daniel 10, um, when he gets a terrifying vision of the of of a man, right? The uh, the Lord Jesus, as we would, of course, he didn't is not mentioned like that there, but he's he's given this uh, vision, right, of the Lord Jesus. But one of the descriptions is that similar to this is that his arms and his legs are furnished are bronze, and you know, I don't know if you've heard, you know, right off, you know, when you, somebody describes this as that you know speaks of judgment, and that is and that is true, um, the way that. Metal, never worked with metal personally myself, so it's, I have to read about it, right, to know about it. But, you know, to get the impurities out, right, you've got to put it in uh, an intense heat, right, and boil those things out. Well, on this, on the way that's described there, there's no impurities, right? But it's interesting, the combination that he uses here, and you wouldn't find this in the English language because this is only in the Greek, but he talks about these two words that describe here. Now, I don't know if you can see this. I'll try my best to pronounce it, but it's Chaco Liban. It's two words, right? Chacos, which is copper or tin, and then Liban, or I think it's Libos. But he takes these two Greek words. Now, what's fascinating about it is the first one we know about. That's a metal. The second one is frankincense. Two things that don't go together. Now, who in the right mind would melt those things together to describe a metal? But you know, when we start digging around, we think we look about incense. Right, going back to the the uh, tabernacle, what was there before God burning continually? Incense, and what Jesus Christ will mention it now. What He's coming to do, because you look at His feet, He's coming to judge. He's coming for judgment, and it's going to start. Where is it going to start? It shouldn't be hard for us to figure out. Right here in the church, right? It doesn't start here on planet Earth. I mean, it does in that sense, but he doesn't start with the general non-believing population. It's going to start here in the church, and he's going to get his house in order first. And so here he's coming to the church to do judgment. He's coming here to correct them. There's things that are out of order. He's getting it in order right now because you know what? He's going to come later, and then he's going to do total judgment on the entire planet. But he's going to start here in the church. And there he is, that furnished bronze coming to the judgment, but it's soaked in incense, soaked in prayers before God. And it's whose prayers? What's well, his, right? He's praying on our behalf. His high priestly ministry, right there. He's working on our behalf, even though he's coming to do uh, judgment, right? It's not something that he's coming to do out of spite or I need to put them down, I need to judge them. No, he's doing it because he wants to bring them along. He wants to nurture us. He wants to see us more like himself, right? He's doing. He has a plan for us. He's not just going to let us go, even though... We are our own worst enemies sometimes because we're pushing the opposite direction. We want something that's going to be self-destructive and we're pushing this way and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God's pulling us back. And there's the Lord Jesus coming in in the midst of the church with his feet furnished bronze, this copper or this tin and this frankincense, this metal mixed together. Interesting. So his feet were as furnished bronze, refined in a furnace and his voice. His voice was as many waters. Daniel described this. This is also going back to Daniel 10. But his voice is of many multitudes. Um, I try to, to think about it as, you know, sometimes we, we people, <laughs> when they're going to sleep, they put the, the you know, sounds of the ocean and stuff. It's, it's not that, right? I mean, that would be peaceful to kind of sleep. No, it's, I, I mean, Daniel, I mean, uh, John, you know, was startled when he heard his voice. But his voice is as the sound of many, of a multitude of people or rushing water it was something frightening terrifying enough that he could still take things take in what was the imagery that was happening to him but it was terrifying again uh hearkening back to daniel and what daniel saw what else 
in his right hand were the seven stars. Now, um, we don't have to think hard what this is because, again, the Lord Jesus gives us a commentary what it is. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, I will just pose this as a question or maybe for a topic of discussion, whether that's actual angels that are assigned to the different churches or it's, again, Jamel touched on this a little bit last week or the week before, that the seven thinking of perfection, maybe that's encompassed the Holy Spirit, right, that is in his duty and he has a special interest, right? He has a special work inside the church as well. Not only the Lord Jesus as the high priest, but the Holy Spirit, right, is also working amongst the church. Whether that's true or what's not, um, uh, which way it is, uh, we can look in that um, maybe uh, amongst ourselves or amongst the small groups. But there he is. In his right hand are seven stars. And what he tells us that is, is that's the seven angels of the seven churches, whether that's, again, uh, an angel particularly assigned to him or because it's seven, the number seven, it's the, it's the entirety of the Holy Spirit, which obviously that's within his power, right, to be assigned to the entire church and to do his work. And from his mouth, now this is also interesting, going back over here, is from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now this, if you know your Bible or if you come across Hebrews 12, right, the Word of God describes this as a sharp two-edged sword, but also... The weapon of choice that the Son of God's going to use, it's not the first time it's mentioned. And Isaiah talks about this in 11, that he's coming and his weapon of choice is going to come straight from his mouth. He's just going to speak it, right? I mean, can you imagine what kind of power that is? But it starts here. Remember, his judgment starts here in the church. Completely different judgment here that he's going to judge the, the world, right, to, to destroy them. But I, I, I include this one because this is interesting because this is where... I think this is what the Lord is coming, right? He's going to be talking. He's going to be using his word to judge us, right? To say, listen, there's something not right. And what do we use, right, to use as a mirror, right, to look into our own heart is the word of God. And why double-edged sword? Well, it's able to divide, right, what I feel I should be doing and what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. It's able to cut so deep, not just on one side, but on both, right? And the, the word of God is a special tool, unlike anything that we could find on this planet that's able to do that, right? To get down to soul and spirit and divide these things. The Word of God's able to do it. And where does it come from? Straight from His mouth. What do we think the Bible is? Straight from the mouth of God, right? So undoubtedly, it's the Word of God that He's going to come. And it comes straight from His mouth, His face as the sun shining in its full strength. Daniel describes Him as, as lightning. I've never seen, I mean, I've seen lightning up close. Uh, especially at Camp Horizon, and it's it's scary, right? It even sometimes blinds you. But can you imagine? I mean, his face just is, here's this person coming, and what do you think John's going to do? Well, he tells us he fell on me as though he's dead. I mean, I think I would have fell a long time ago, but he was able to see all these things, but God was able, I mean, Jesus let him stand up long enough, right, before blowing him away. But he just was, I know who this is. This is my Savior, and here he is. I understand everything that's happening here. Right? He just fell on his feet. He's dead, right? Completely different than before, right? Mankind was able to get close to him, clench their fist, punch him, rip the beard out, slap him around like he's the nobody, right? How do we feel when that happens to us? Of course we want vengeance. Lord Jesus went willingly, right? As a lamb, right? Just the way he died, right? Also qualified him to pour out judgments on this world, right? That's, we're going to look at that, his other imagery, that he's a lamb freshly slain. Now he's qualified to pour out judgment, but this time, nobody's going to be getting close to do that. Complete opposite, right? Fell at his feet is dead. This is such a good picture of the Lord Jesus. As he sees this terrifying sight, what does he say? Why don't we do it like this for imagery's sake? He pulls out his right hand and just plates it right on. This is not the first time this is actually mentioned. This actually happened to Daniel. All of these people, when they saw the Lord Jesus, they saw an imagery of God, just fell at his feet. And here he comes. He just, listen, there's something I want you to do, right? He wants them to be a part of what he's doing. He's bringing them in, right? I mean, that's so amazing. He's bringing John in. He's blown away by what he sees. He says, John, I have something for you. Fear not. And we'll stop right here with this statement. Can't not mention this because this is such a tremendous statement. Fear not. He gives another introduction of himself. I am the first and the last. We heard it this morning in the Lord's Supper. But he uses this, um, in some translation, it might be the, um, 
the Alpha and Omega. Mine translates that as the first and the last. He takes the alphabet, the Greek alphabet. He says he's the beginning and he's the end. We actually did um, mention this at the little kids uh, Friday, but, you know, we have a hard time. We have limitations, right, in the way we understand things. And when God tries to explain himself to him who exceeds the way we think things should be, you know, we... We, we know, you know, there's laws that impose on us, right? If we jump out off top of this roof, we don't think we're going to float off into space. You know, there's a law of gravity that's going to pull us down, right? So we know that people and things operate in certain laws. That's how, that's what science is all built off of, right? Laws. If we, you know, we mix these two atoms together and, and we, and we get water, right? It's consistent. But God is outside of these things. So how does he describe himself to us? Well, he tells us, listen, I'm the beginning and the last. I don't have a beginning. But the best I can describe myself is I've always existed. I'm the first and I'm the last. I was there at the beginning. I'm going to be there at the end. And I'm going to continue to exist. And here's, look at this. I am the living one and I died. I'm the living one. I'm the author of life. I'm the one, I'm the reason that life came into existence. I gave life to you. I gave life to this plant. I brought this plant into existence. I am the living one. I am life. And look at this. He says, I died. Now, that's a head scratcher if you ask me. I don't know. How, I mean, the best I can describe this, right? I'm, I'm, I've accepted it by faith, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. But the best I can describe it is the way Paul describes it. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Indeed, we confess. Here's a great mystery. Let me tell you about it. It's godliness. And here's the best way he can describe it. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed on by the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know how else to more describe how the living one became flesh. And then on top of it, he died. He didn't cease to exist, but he died. He always existed. Don't want to get those things crossed. But he says, listen, I died. And I am alive forevermore. You know, the Lord um, tells us that, you know, there's going to be in some, you know, especially when you dig into what's good, what to come, what's to come, you know, it seems that, you know, there's going to be more things created after. When everything's done, it seems that the Lord might be creating more things. Now, again, that's all, it doesn't say clearly, but there, we're going to be ruling over something, right, and later. But, you know, what the Lord did here on this planet 2,000, you know, years ago will never happen again. I am alive forevermore. What happened there? That was a special blip in our history. That will never happen again. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in that form, right? Live 30 plus years, suffer and die, and then raise again from the dead. I am alive forevermore, right? Going back to the high priestly garments, right? His office will never stop, will never cease because he lives forever. I am alive forevermore. That will never happen again. And I have the keys of death and Hades. We'll stop here. Closing word of prayer. But um, when I was younger, now, again, I don't really remember this because, you know, I see pictures when I was a little kid and my parents tell me. So I get this, like, this implanted imagery of, like, what I used to do. But um, my dad used to carry, and I don't even know, does people still carry a bunch of keys now? I mean, I guess if you work in some kind of uh, facility that you have to. But, um, you know, he used to come home, and, and because of his a line of work, before the school board, you know, he used to need a lot of keys, I assume. So, you know, they would, they had, they had a picture of me and I, you know, I used to love the keys and I, you know, put them on my diapers, like all hanging out and stuff, you know. Of course I don't remember it, but, you know, because I see these pictures, I start thinking that I remember it. But, you know, the keys, when you have the keys, right, that gives you the power to open and shut the doors, right? To lock them, to exclude access, right? You know, sometimes the world ascribes to the devil so much power. And, you know, even in, 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 in entertainment, right, we think that the devil and, and God, they're in this, uh, uh, locked in this 50-50 battle. And who's going to win? And, you know, who's going to outsmart the other ones? It ain't like that. I mean, that's our version of what we think God and, and the devil are fighting. No, it's completely opposite. The Lord Jesus Christ has the keys to heaven and of Hades and of death. He's the one that holds the power. He's going to open and shut that door. And he says, listen, because I did this, I have the keys. Nobody holds that keys. The devil doesn't have it. 
Yes, he's given some power to do certain things and to work out God's purposes. I'm not going to diminish that. But there's no equal struggle between good and evil. Good's going to prevail. God has allowed evil to persist for a time because he has a plan. He's working something out right now. And I say, we'll end with this. I'm sure there's some here that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you know what? He's going to open that door if you continue to persist, right? For those who do not know him, he will open that door and say, fine, you want to persist and not be without me? I'll put you in a place where I choose not to be. But he has those keys. And the only way to not go, right, to go anywhere is going to go through the Son of God, right? He's, he's setting this up. The entirety of the revelation, everything that's going to happen, where is it all? Who's the center of it? The Lord Jesus Christ. Where does it all lead to? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so what better way for us to start this book, rather, than to get a clear picture of who he is and to get a snapshot of what who he is and what he's going to do? Well, now it all makes sense because then we can look back. Everything, the feet of bronze, the head, the eyes, now it all makes sense what he's doing and what he's about to do, right? It's no different. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you so much for this, just this picture that we see of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes, Lord, you know, even even the world sometimes will ask, well, if God would just open up and talk to us and, and, and prove that he exists. He did this many times, Lord. You did this many times. And it, it still didn't change people's heart. But we're just so thankful that you don't do this because it would be a terrifying thing in some sense. But, Lord, we just are so thankful that... Um, for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did and accomplished on the cross. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. He took upon himself the, our sin that wasn't his, and he nailed it there on the cross. And by faith, we can be saved, and we can, have res- we can be rescued from that sin. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that death cannot hold you, and that you rose again. You are alive forevermore, and you have the keys of hell and of death. And that there you are working on our behalf in your priestly garments, not stopping. And that you're interceding on my behalf, interceding on our behalf. And we just are so thankful for the work that you're doing there in heaven. And we just pray, Lord, that we would be more, bend our will more to be receptible for what you want us to do in our lives. We just pray that you bring us home safely and bless our time and just bring us uh, back, Lord, to look back into these things and to help us to understand them. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.